0: What's up guys, welcome back to the show. This episode is sponsored by the BitBox O2. Yes, if you are buying Bitcoin and you are not taking self-custody, you are making a grave error. That is what all of this is about, is taking custody and establishing sovereignty over your money. And hardware wallets are an effective and easy way to do that. And I've been really impressed by the BitBox O2. Uh, There's a lot of great features, It's really accessible for people that are just getting started. So if you've just bought Bitcoin and you want to figure out how to take self-custody with an easy-to-use device and app, it's great for that. It also has a lot of features that uh, accommodate the more experienced users, like connecting to your own full node, like the ability to integrate with multi-sig schemes, like Tor support, and many others. It's fully open source. It's a great product. I've been really enjoying using it. If you'd like to check it out and learn more, go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash rapidfire for 5% off. This show is also sponsored by the Bitcoin 2021 conference. I am super pumped about this event. I think it's going to be amazing. I think they're expecting, you know, close to 10,000 people at this thing. There's a ton of amazing speakers lined up, Jack, Saylor, Cynthia Lummis, Nick Zabo um, But I'm even more excited for going and meeting and hanging out with all the amazing plebs that I've uh, interacted with exclusively online over the past year. Um, There's a ton of great uh, satellite events around it. I think it's going to be a blast, and uh, there's still time to get a ticket to this thing. So if you're interested in learning more, go to b.tc forward slash conference for more details and for tickets. And if you decide to pick one up, use the promo code Valis V-A-L-L-I-S, for 15% off. On to the show.
1: Let's do it. I'm going to grab a drink real quick. All right. We're live. <laughs> 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 we're live with an empty chair. Yeah.
2: You can still get Did you get it? Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, man. So uh, what's going on? It's... Uh, well, I'll tell you first, I wanted to put this together. Obviously, we've been on a few things together, like Clubhouse Rooms and uh, other podcasts and stuff. And uh, I've always just, you know, I've loved the energy you bring to this stuff. I love the passion for, you know, the aspect of this space that you're you're so heavily involved in. And then, of course, recently you joined Upstream. And uh, I just thought it'd be cool to connect and hear about your story, hear about your work
1: and, uh, you know, talk about Bitcoin. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, no, definitely. I, you know, I'm, it's an honor to be on. I've, I've listened to a lot of you know, Rapid Fire podcasts and, and a lot of John Vallis. So I've listened to you a lot, man. So and I think you, you bring a lot of great insight to a lot of topics. Even when you came in the, into the room the other day, into the conversation, you, know, you joined, I think, about well, like halfway through um, where Steve and I would, and, and others were talking, and like you, you contributed something that needed to happen in that conversation, like something we were missing. Um, and so, yeah, dude, I'm really happy to be here. Love bringing the energy early in the morning. Uh, to, uh, to, the, to the rapid fire. So this is good stuff.
2: I appreciate it, man. You know, our first interaction was actually you were posting on Twitter, like images or videos of, you know, I think natural gas mining of some kind. And the only ones that I had been familiar with at the time were were Steve and upstream. So I was hitting you up being like, dude, what are you doing? Like, how, how are you doing it? All this kind of stuff. And And I feel like I might have like creeped you out a bit because I kept asking all these questions. And you were like, at a certain point you just went cold and i was like oh damn maybe maybe he didn't want to divulge what he was doing and stuff so i don't know if that was your experience uh (laughs) on on
1: our first interactions on twitter but uh yeah i mean no i I do i do remember uh i do remember having the thought of man this john guy he he looks to he looks to ask and get a lot of questions answered without giving away much (laughs) (laughs) Um, but but i I, I hadn't really listened to you much then you know like i think i and it was still earlier on right you hadn't you hadn't um, really like built up even your listenership that you have now. So yeah, uh, well you know I was just curious, right? Like I didn't know that people were doing this, <laughs> and, I,
2: and I guess I, you know, of course, I, I I got nothing but questions. So I was just, and I didn't consider yeah, like you know that maybe you wanted to keep certain things close to the chest, or maybe I, you know I was just a rando on Twitter asking you all these questions. So uh, yeah, well, well, I yeah, follow, part I of it was probably you know because I
1: at the time. No, no, I mean part of it was probably because like you know I was I wasn't with Upstream at the time, and so. You know, I, I could have, I could have answered probably some of the questions, but ultimately I would have been like answering them on behalf of what's going like upstream. I'd be like, yeah, I used upstream as, you know, who built my, cause, cause I've been mining on flare gas. I, I used upstream data, right? I mean, they, Steve is the one that built me the the data center and the engine that I'm using. So, um, like that's how I got to know them. And so I probably would have just pushed you his way anyway. So I probably would have just been like, you know, you need to talk to, you need to talk to Steve Barber, but you know, it's kind of interesting the you know, how, how these, how how small the world is kind of becoming, um, you know, with, with how connected we are, but just, you start to realize kind of how small industries are and how really few people kind of run the world, you know, like how, you know, there's, it's really not as, as kind of chaotic and, and, you know, populated out of control as, as maybe, you know, I thought, I guess growing up and when I was in college thinking about corporations and like the corporate world and, and how really you know big companies are run and how you know global commerce is run i i it just seems like you know dauntingly massive and then you get into industries like oil and gas and, and and you know bitcoin's an emerging industry that's that's you know certainly growing incredibly fast and you realize like it's there's there's not a whole ton of people out here like you know and you end up running into people that are either doing the same things or thinking the same ways and then you know you end up collaborating and knowing the same people and next thing you know it's like you know, it's it's everyone's recognized in um, in a space, and so I think like we're kind of at this this fun point where everyone's finding their finding the thing they want to build um, within Bitcoin, and you know, kind of finding our homes, and then we're you know leveraging all the kind of like just relationships and through through conversation that we've had with each other within the Bitcoin community, and like becoming a serious industry moving forward. And I think we're like we're like right at the precipice of. I guess maybe that, that next real push. Um, and it's, it's, it's exciting.
2: Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. It's, it's, you know, everyone comes in at the top of the rabbit hole and you're compelled and you find it interesting. And then you're drawn towards some aspect of what this is and, and this touches so many things that you, you're almost spoiled for choice and you, you can literally let your, you, you know, your interests just go toward whatever it is about this that's that you find most compelling And I agree, like now, like everyone's starting to find a bit of a home. And as you said, you know, what's great about all these podcasts and mixing up on Twitter and stuff, it's like you get to know who people are and what they're about, right? And what their skills are and what, you know, what they can bring to the table. And especially in an industry like this, where it is still so nas, not nascent, but it's still, you know, developing and it's easy to make connections. But, you know, you mentioned that about the oil and gas space. Is that true there too? Like you find it easy to make the connections and it's not as big as and, and daunting as you thought it was prior even in a space like yeah as I, big as that
1: well i think so. like i mean oil and gas like as a whole is is a pretty big industry like I, I think if you took it you know it's entirety but upstream oil and gas so the actual producers right the guys the the guys that are actually exploring and producing wells right drilling and and producing wells um that's a pretty small space, right? So in, in 2018, that's really how I found my way to Bitcoin and how I found my way to, to upstream data and such was I was working in upstream oil and gas and I was going to all the, all the big conferences around the U S right. So all the like Nape and Kyoga, all these um, oil and gas conferences that happen in, you know, Kansas, Wyoming, Texas. Um, I've been to Midland a, a couple of times. Um, and at the end of the day, I was going to these conferences all over the place and I was seeing the exact same people like literally the the same faces to the point where we start recognizing each other like we we're we're the we're like the traveling part of the upstream oil and gas industry right the the sales business development side where we go to all the trade shows and all these different areas and then all the local producers from around there come and they you know check out all the new oil and gas products and services and all the all the stuff going on and so I was doing that and in the midst of that I realized like wow this is a really small industry where I <laughs> mean it's almost almost like incestual to where everyone that, that works over here, like when they, when they quit, if they, if they stop working, like they end up just going over to this company and doing the exact same thing that they were doing over here. Um, but for them, and then like their boss will quit and move over there and like, they'll end up having the same boss at a different company. Like, you know, it's just very, you know, and then they end up, a lot of the mergers and acquisitions, you know, companies end up kind of blending together anyway. And they, they keep just reshuffling the board where they just keep buying each other's assets. You know back and forth throughout the decades and um you know it's i figured out really quickly that that your reputation and you're going to get to be known relatively quickly right and so early on i figured hey like i better i better make a good impression you know from from the beginning when i when i get into this industry and i i realized i have to actually know what i'm talking about i have to actually be proficient in what i'm in what i'm selling and i was working on the production management you know production accounting side and <laughs> I was not when I first entered the oil and gas industry, right? So I, I went to my bosses and I was like, hey, I can't I can't bullshit these these oil and gas guys. Like they're they're too intelligent, they're too keen, and they they've got a nose for bullshit. So I need to actually know what I'm talking about. I need to be proficient at this. And what my bosses had me do was they had me start doing production accounting for a few of the oil and gas companies that we were doing production accounting for. So every day I'd be <laughs> getting their grease books from the from the pumpers. I'd be entering in their volumes and I'd be doing their production accounting for their, for their on-site you know, operation. And from you know, within two months of doing that, I understood upstream oil and gas, like the day-to-day operations, what really matters, right? The volumes, which is the revenue, um, the bottom line. And from there, I was just off and running, right? When, when was that like, did you start your career? Early in 2018. 2018. Oh, 2018. No, I started, yeah, so I jumped in oil and gas like late 2017. Um I when i I mean I think I officially started like January first of twenty eighteen was my was my first day on the on the job in the industry, but I had started going to some of these meetings at the Denver Athletic Club um that oil and gas has um late twenty seventeen i wasn't I wasn't even looking at Bitcoin at this point like I had heard about it. I had a buddy that tried to tell me to buy it back in twenty fifteen and i I ignored him um, like a fool right i was I, I, I and honestly it was it was because I asked him I said, hey, you know how is it produced? Like, how is it mined? And he gave me an answer that was like, he, he mentioned to me that it was, um, you know, he was like, it's really sophisticated. Now this was like 2015. He's like, it's really sophisticated now and specialized. You have to get these specialized computers and, you know, it's almost in, it's becoming industrialized. So it's pretty hard to get into mining. And he couldn't really explain to me, you know, proof of work or like, you know, what a compu- you know, computational hash is like, the, we, we didn't go into that. And so I just kind of wrote it off like, yeah, well, however it's produced problem right like that's that's kind of just how I shrugged it off and then when I saw the headlines in 2018 of it crashing um it it had just passed ten thousand dollars it was like you know mid or late January um and the bubble had popped the scam was over right yada 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 um I went to investigate it I was like I was actually approached it like hey I want to know how this scam worked like obviously the scam is over it's crashing from 20,000 like somebody rug pulled this Ponzi scheme um and I kind of just wanted to, you know, out of curiosity, figure out how the how the scheme worked. And I figured that if it was a scheme, if there was some kind of, you know, foul play, it would probably be where it's produced. Like whoever's producing this thing is probably the one pulling the strings. And so then I, I just, I tried to figure out how Bitcoin was mined. And when I learned about what a, what a computational hash is, right, like how, how thermodynamic law relates to, you know, computer science in the way of you, you can't execute a computational hash without at least some you know, nominal amount of of energy of, of, you know, heat energy or or electricity. And so even if, you know, the most computers, you still can't use zero energy. And from that thesis, you can then extrapolate that, you know, with cryptography and mathematical possibility, well, you can, you can conclude that like the amount of energy it would take to, you know, brute force attack a password or, 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 you know, the key to a, to a cryptographic proof. Um, the amount of energy required you could calculate is in, you know, is not feasible. And so from that, you could objectively conclude, you know, that something is, is secured, right. Something is not, um, brute, you know, can't be brute force attacked. And then the second thing you can conclude from that is that computational work is a measurement of energy, right. It's, it's, um, it's, it's a raw measurement of electricity in some regards because there are thermodynamic limits to, to the efficiency. Right. So, so I don't know. It just, once that clicked, once I understood like, oh, okay. So computation is just as much a, a measurement of, of energy at, at, as their volts is um, in many ways. Then, it, then I realized, wow, this is an open and competitive energy market. This isn't a scam. This is, this is actually quite incredible. And then I also knew I was looking at the spreadsheets <laughs> I, uh, you know, and within our software of all the volumes that these oil and gas producers were wasting that they couldn't economically bring to market. And so I knew where there was a whole ton of stranded and wasted energy. And I knew where there was this, auto- now I just learned about this autonomous, you know, energy consumption market, this thing you could sell electricity to. Um, and I like, I had this epiphanic, you know, kind of aha, oh my God moment. And I just, I went out on a mission to see if, you know, I, like, was this an original thought? And like, there's no way I'm the only one that thought of this. Um, you know, of course, initially it's like, I'm, I'm sitting there like Thinking, I'm the only one with this thought, right? I can't find anybody talking about it. I'm, I'm googling, but I inevitably stumbled upon Upstream Data. And when I read their read their web page and saw like like Steve had had a couple pictures up there and like showed what, and and I had an image in my mind of you know what I would do. And then like I looked at Upstream Data's web page and it was like it was real. I mean, it was like a sinking feeling, but also a man. I gotta I gotta get on the phone with these guys and see like and. Because I was going around, <laughs> I was going around to the conferences and talking about this and getting laughed at, right? So I was like dying to talk to somebody that also thought this might be the future. Hold on one second. That was oil and gas, you know. So yeah, I was, I was,
2: I was running I, really, really. I, I hard. want to continue on that that story, but so you you figure this out, you see the potential, you start talking about it to people in your industry, and then you you hit up Steve. But before we get to the part you're buying it, like. Were you, what, what was your background to be able to look at things from an energetic perspective? Like, I know you were working in energy at the time, but you said you joined that industry in like 17 or 18. So like, were, did you yeah. study engineering energy systems? Did you work in that capacity prior to that? No.
1: Or are you, no, I mean, I, 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 I mean, I worked with, you know, buddies that, I mean, that had, I had a buddy that had a pallet business and, you know, I worked with him and constantly we would talk about redesign and, I mean, he, we, he was designing, you know, carbon fiber pallets and, you know, we would, I don't know. We were, like I, I'm always been interested and always been a, a tinkerer, I guess. Um, but that's not like my that's not my profession. Um, and I and I'm not an engineer. I'm not a heavy oil and gas engineer or anything. But um, you know, I think I'm a, I think I'm a pretty quick learner. And it, when I'm excited about something, it's easy to learn, right? It's and the information is out there. It's it's I mean, you can learn pretty much anything you want to these days. Right. Um, and so that's what I did. Is I I mean, and that was my biggest hurdle initially was when I had this idea where I went, well, I know that there's a bunch of stranded gas and waste gas, and now I know, like, that there's this place that, you know, this energy intensive thing called Bitcoin mining, but essentially, it's an energy market. Um, I needed to figure out one, how do I, my Bitcoin, you know, Mario coin earnings at this point in time, right? It's like, what the hell? Like, how do I calculate how much Bitcoin I earn or whatever? Um, and then I also needed to figure out how do I calculate, you know, how much electricity I can produce via natural gas, um, and what that what the cost is going to look like? I didn't. I mean, I I had some idea of these things, but the good news was I was in the middle of the oil and gas industry, and so I had a lot of great resources. Um, and so, I mean, from from all the contacts that I was making at at these conventions, from all my potential clients, I mean, all of our customers and the people I was doing the production accounting for. And they have onsite engineers and petroleum engineers that, I mean, I, I got their ear, right. And I, and I got to talk with them once a month because I was doing their, their monthly accounting. And so I was always asking questions and things and I inevitably got to a place where I could calculate natural gas conversion. Right. And by the way, natural gas is incredibly energy dense. It's, it's fantastic as a, you know, as a fuel source. Um, the, it's problem is that it's, it's really hard to transport. Um, or, well, it's not hard. It's really costly to transport. Right. Um, it's, it's very you know, economically intensive. And so, um, Whereas like crude, right? It's great. You can truck crude to market economically. And so like, that's really the issue that that's why there's all this wasted gas. That's why I was seeing um, these producers waste all these volumes is because the locations of these wells were very remote and the volume of gas. Yeah. While it was significant, while it could produce a significant amount of electricity, it wasn't enough to justify laying a $50 million pipeline. Right. Because you're just never going to make your money back. Um, Mm. You know, natural gas isn't that valuable. Uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. And so relative to how costly a pipeline is, right? And so um, ultimately, what I just what I found was, wow, if, if, if this Bitcoin mining earnings, you know, calculation comes out to where, like, they're earning even a little bit of money, I know guys that are paying people to come in and combust their gas and do nothing with it just to combust it because regulators are are on their back about, you know, they, they can't just vent the vault. They can't just vent the gas. So they have to combust it. They're paying somebody right now. So maybe they pay me to come mine Bitcoin. Then, I mean, even if I'm only earning a tiny amount of Bitcoin, it's probably pretty attractive um, to, to, you know, go see if I can work that deal because, you know, to get paid to go earn money, to get paid to go bring gas to market for a profit, like I'll, I'll buy some infrastructure <laughs> to do that. Um, and so, like I don't even need to know the math. I just need to know it's greater than this, right? Um, and so, and that's where I that's where I was stuck. And so, I mean, I I did. I was calling uh, guys that were like generator genset salesmen. You know, guys at power generation uh, providers, and you know, like they're salesmen. They're trying to like sell to to knowledgeable customers <laughs> that know what they're talking about. Um, and I was calling them like, yeah. So, how much you know? like like, how big of an engine should I have if I have 25 MCF? And they're like, well, what's your gas analysis? And I'm like running through my software, trying to find a gas analysis to like give them, you know, um, <laughs> to, just to like, just to get an idea of the numbers. Um, and I did that for a while. All right? I, just, I just had to go figure it out. So I just went and figure it out. And inevitably I got proficient, right? I got proficient at understanding what the economics look like. You know, I understand really well the, the trade-offs between miners. I know what a miner should be priced at. All that stuff came from, the numbers over and over and over again, um, and seeing if this was viable, right? Because I kept proving it to myself, and then getting laughed at by people that were smarter than me and and wiser than I am, and, and certainly in oil and gas. Um, and then I met Steve, and it was like this 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 weight just lifted off of me because when I when I talked with him, it was like finally, like somebody that under that, that has the that is as excited and and thinks that this is worth building. Um, and he had he was way ahead of me. I mean, he was years ahead of me he'd already built iterations of his data center. And I was like, man, like, there's, there's no way it's going to cost me less and be, you know, I'm going to spend less time building a data center. I should, I should just have this guy do it. Cause he's already built like a dozen or something, you know, that he's tinkered with. And now he's got like a, a formal iteration that, that he stands by and his costs, like there's like, <laughs> let him do it. Um, and, I'll go out and find a, you know, try to find some gas to negotiate and such. So, so, I mean, it was just kind of, you know, I was excited by an idea and I was compelled to get involved. Um, I felt like the, the window of time was closing. Um, I felt as though like, yeah, while I was getting laughed at and these guys were definitely not going to, no oil and gas producer in 2018 really was, was going to even wanted to talk about buying a magic internet money machine. Right. I mean, they just (laughs) weren't going to talk about, spending 50 grand on Bitcoin computers, like that just, they literally just hang up the phone. Um, but, but I knew that they were gonna come around, that if Bitcoin did what I thought it was gonna do, if, if Bitcoin was what I, what I think it is, um, price is pure signal and it's, and it's the ultimate manipulator of opinion. And price will change their mind and they'll come around and they'll come to a point where they won't need me, they won't need my money or my, my infrastructure They'll be comfortable taking the risk themselves and buying these magic internet money computers, and they'll become Bitcoin miners because it's in their best interest to do so. Um, and then I'll get squeezed out, right? That was my field to get any exposure to this. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to cut a deal with an oil and gas, you know, uh, producer because they're going to be willing to mine Bitcoin themselves. They don't need me to come and purchase the, the infrastructure. They're too scared to buy. So in 2018, I was like, I was running. I was like, I gotta, I gotta, you know, make a deal before they get comfortable with this. Now, obviously I was, I was just too excited. Like I could have waited a long time. I mean, even today, the, even today, like as much as there's a ton of excitement and my phone's ringing off the hook um, and I'm talking to tons of oil and gas producers, a lot of them are pulling the trigger. It's still a really slow process because, you know, this is, this is all new slowly. I mean, well, yeah. And it's, this is really nascent. Like this is, I mean, if you really think about mining as an industrialized kind of, I mean, almost like, corporately competitive right um that's only really been the last what five six years um it's been you know bitcoin mining has always been really competitive but Mm. it's not to the point where guys are building engines for it right um and so i think i mean obviously you needed asics to happen before that ever took place so i think we're just we're right at the beginning of this this decade-long you know kind of land grab to to bring on hash rate because so many so many entities have, have wasted and stranded energy that, I mean, Bitcoin looks really good right now. Yeah. It's, it's such
2: a, like, it's, it's, it's its own rabbit hole uh, in itself. There's there's so many, it's so exciting to think of the possibilities of where this might go. Um, And I want to hear some of your speculation on it, but just to close the loop on the story. So you bought a hash hut or something from Steve, Uh, were you, offering services to like other oil and gas companies at the time? Or you just mining on your own well or energy source or something like that? No. Like no so mining. that was,
1: I mean, that was, a, that was another beauty is that Steve actually found gas that he could host for me. So like oh. it was, so, yeah. So, I mean, when, in the midst of that, he was like, because I mean, part of it too is I, I mean, I have a small operation. So, I mean, I partnered up with my dad. I needed some capital, right? I, right. I wasn't going to go sell my Bitcoin to go mine Bitcoin, right? I ran those <laughs> numbers and they sucked. Um, okay. (laughs) So it was, it was like, that wasn't good. I was like, I needed a way to leverage my Bitcoin holdings. Um, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with a block fire, especially like, you know, 2018, any kind of lending services out there. Plus price was chopping all over the place. And it was like, I I knew I was going to get liquidated and wrecked. So I went to what I thought would be the, you know, the optimal, uh, way to, to, to use my Bitcoin to to fundraise, which would be to, to leverage it. For equity in a company, right? That somebody else brings capital to, and so that way I don't have to sell it, and I get to, if, you know, if Bitcoin, if my thesis on Bitcoin plays out, I feel the win, right, from from the, the price appreciation, and so that's what I did. My dad, you know, because he's my dad and he loves me, um, and he thought it was a good idea, even though he thought it was an off the wall idea, and he's told me since he told me at about a, he told me about thirty thousand dollars Bitcoin, so about you know back in January, he told me he finally admitted he was like, you know, I got to be honest, I, I thought. You know, every dollar was gone. Like when I invested, in, I expected <laughs> to, I expected to go broke. You know, like I expected to lose everything. Oh God, um, love him. And I was like, well, I'm yeah. I'm glad, glad he, you know. He was he was he's like I was confident in you. He's like, but the way in which I invested was such that like I didn't expect a return. It, it was out. So of we love. got a great return, right? <laughs> yeah, it was out. It was more out of love than it was out of capitalism. Um, but <laughs> capitalism prevailed nonetheless. So amazing. Um, I think I think he. You know now it's it, that i'll say that that's a whole nother dynamic is really fun having a you know my dad's a boomer he's he's about 70 years old and i mean having him involved in this and getting to talk with him about it because we have a business you know and we're mining it's like i get to you know update him on the the test rate of the network and stuff and like to, to watch him slowly kind of start to understand it and then to watch him like sometimes we're at like you know a, a family get together and there's like friends in town and then my dad'll just answer someone's question before I do and it just kills me.
2: So know? he so he uh, rocks Bitcoin, Bitcoin so
1: pretty well right now. Yeah, I mean he's he's a bull. He's definitely a Bitcoin bull, right? It's so um, funny. He, it, he thinks it's great. I mean, h- yeah, his thing is he's he's very you know he's he's a patriot, right? He's he's very you know pro United States of America, and so part of his, I think his dilemma is one he sees that it undermines the U.S.'s ability to you know, kind of shake their weight around the world, right? Really their way to just sanction and, and rob people to some degree, yeah. um, right? Being frank. Um, and he sees that it's probably going to be an enemy of, you know, the, the Federal Reserve Central Bank. And, like, he thinks the U.S. is power, pretty powerful. And if, if anybody, you know, if anything can stop Bitcoin, it's probably, you know, the, the crazies that got elected. Um, but, so so but, he, hasn't, he hasn't passed the event horizon yet, but he's a ball. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and I don't think he will, man. I think so. There's, there's something about, you know, there's something that, that he'll. I don't know if he'll ever get to the point where he really sees, you know, I, the way I see it, right? The way I see Bitcoin disrupting um, centralized powers. Like, I don't think he'll see it that way. I, he, he kind of, you know, he almost kind of scoffs or giggles when I, when I say things of that nature. But, but he sees my point, right? I, he, you know, because because there's a strong argument for it. But I, I think he just, you know. I'll tell you that he, I bet you he's more convinced of it at fifty-five thousand than he was at you know when we were mining at fifty-two hundred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so,
2: yeah, it's fu- it's funny yeah. you say the uh, the family dinner thing, man, because the exact same thing has happened with my dad. You know, I've been talking to him about it for years, and uh, this fall, like the microstrategy news and all that kind of stuff, he kind of it perked up his ears, and uh, now, like you know, when we're sitting around on a Sunday dinner or something like that. The subject will come up and like, of course, for years, I've been the one that's trying to, you know, tell this to everybody and someone will ask a question and I'll just kind of look over to him and he'll be like, I got this one, man. I got this one. And, you know, to his credit, man, he's like, he, he dropped the line several months ago now, but he was like, he was in conversation with someone and he said like, you know, Bitcoin is the, is like the underground railroad to freedom. And I was just like, so, <laughs> <laughs> i was like holy you're shit. like oh, okay so real that's quick good guy, i think i gotta tweet you yeah <laughs> i did i did tweet it but people loved it oh you have to
1: that's too yeah. good yeah it's way too um,
2: good so he he's fully orange filled and it's, it's amazing to see but you know coinciding with that like you you kind of can't be orange filled without seeing uh how bad things are in the legacy world right it's kind of like it's tit for tat right the more you get orange filled the more you become disgusted with the way things are in many ways and so that's happening to him too so that i mean that's its own emotional thing to stabilize in itself right because you know there's a certain ignorance as bliss component of people who think like the world works the way that it should and when you you know the, the whole matrix metaphor right when you come out you know the, the matrix has the good meat and the law looks and it looks great and everything but you come and you're in the ship and the, the food is crap and it's all gray and cold and you know and uh So I think everyone has to go on that journey of like finding, you know, I guess peace or like allowing the hope of what could be to kind of console you about uh, the things that are going on that are not so uh, positive, you know?
1: Yeah. But I mean, I, I go back and forth on that because at the same time, I understand my dad's perspective of he's, I mean, he's like retired for the most part. Right. I mean, he's, this is his time to hang out with grandbabies and like, wake up early and read the books he wants to read and right. drink really good you know what i mean like this isn't the time to be taking like crazy risks A revolutionary and, you know, <laughs> like yeah and like like why why start the revolution oh 100% and just and just yeah, yeah please start the revolution after i'm gone you know what i mean like, <laughs> like of course of like, course I, I, yeah so like i don't i don't blame i don't blame him on that regard like i don't blame his i don't i don't i, don't, I wouldn't ever give him any crap for any kind of like you know lack of enthusiasm because I mean, part of it too is and I get frustrated because, like, I'm so excited about this, and then we start winning, right? And when we start winning, I get more excited, and and then it's like, and I I, I almost get like frustrated, like, why aren't you as excited? <laughs> you <know? laughs> why why aren't you as amped up as I am? Um, which is like, I mean, for me, it's just a foolish thing to expect out of somebody else.
2: Yeah, because like, I'm 70, bro. It um, happens.
1: Yeah, you it's like get, because I've done a this jaded. before. Like I I already yeah, like he he already has exciting you know business. You know, days of of working hard and competing. Like now, he's he's feeling the rewards, and and I get that because I sit here and I'm like, man, I, you know, it, I want a part of my life probably to be the time where I like, honestly, I could care less about the revolution. You know, what I mean, like I, I think I almost want that person at some point in my life because, you know, it's it does wear well, on you, man. I mean, of to, course, to, you to have, of
2: course, yeah. You know, I mean. You don't, you yeah. don't want the revolution for the sake of it. You want it because you think it's necessary and right and good. But I think we all dream of right. time later in life where we can sit back on the farm and, you know, do whatever the fuck <laughs> it is that, that brings us joy, you know, with the people that we love. That's, that's the ideal right. life for, for, for me, at least. And I, I've heard a lot of people echo the same sentiment, but, you know, and, and in many cases, you know, when I often think about the times we're in, um, like, I don't, I don't, at all want to be in revolutionary times it's just the times that we find ourselves in like I I would prefer the peaceful boring life to be honest like spend time in nature spend time with people I I like and love and do, do things that bring me joy like that's the shit I want like I would rather not have yeah, like to,
1: well, yeah watch the kids laugh yeah hundred
2: percent. I mean? like
1: go, go watch the and then go watch the kids go do it right go watch the kids have fun and take life seriously and you know, find their own way and, and then, you know, support them and such, but like, you know, enjoy your day. You, you can't help the times that you find yourself in though. Right.
2: And I think we're in like times of great change and, and also great opportunity. And so, you know, here we are participating in whatever way we think is most meaningful. Um, but I'm definitely hoping once the dust settles, you know, that cabin in the woods with, uh, animals and, good food and good people that, you know, that's what I'm
1: about. Insane, <laughs> <laughs> same, It's uh, and you know, I want to be, I want to have sovereign money and sovereign power, sovereign electricity, sovereign travel, and just let you me own cattle and go live yours.
0: It's, yeah.
2: Um, when I'll, you first I'll got food. into I'll all take this, care of my own. speaking of the revolutionary, like component of all this, um, you came at it from an energy point of view. Like when did you, understand that this was more you know when did you kind of when did the picture fill out for you beyond the opportunity of taking energy and converting
1: it into magic internet money It's a good question. Um and that way I think maybe my my kind of oh gosh my my uh journey to uh to bitcoin was maybe a little bit different because I I didn't I found like bitcoin twitter and some of the podcast content and such after I had already kind of like i don't know gotten right, really excited about bitcoin and certainly yeah i'd gotten certain and already already bought it right i'd already um, purchased bitcoin and but it wasn't until a few months later that i ended up finding twitter because every time i was googling stuff about news and every article i was reading was referencing tweets and things and i was like what? so I, I mean i was like what the hell like bitcoin lives on twitter um so like i wanted bitcoin information so i had to make a friggin' twitter account and so like i mean the only reason my name is denver bitcoin is because you know, I I figured I'd talk about Denver and I'd talk about Bitcoin. Like that was literally my thought process behind that. Um, yeah, because I was I'm in Colorado. I was like, Twitter's good for local stuff. Like, you know, when there's stuff that's going on, it's live or whatever. Um, and I was a little bit more, you know, kind of involved in having a political voice. Um, I think that you know, I I was engaging in that nonsense debate, <laughs> um, but when I found Bitcoin Twitter and I think when I started listening to some, some podcasts, right. When I started listening to some, some pomp podcasts, um, you know, back in 2018, I think it was, it was pretty early on. He was, you know, he was still advertising for like the coin mine, you know, um, back in the day. And, uh, it, it, through that just through that process, through that dialogue, right. Through having my own ideas about the world and about money and about, you know, I mean, I kind of looked at Bitcoin similar to, a. Uh, you know, to gold only because of because I came from this mining side, right? I understood you know the scarcity was on the, the forefront of my mind, but obviously because of you think about the the block reward and the having um, you know the monetary schedule. Um, but it, I wasn't really in the in the camp of like investing into Bitcoin as an equity. To you know, I didn't think about it like that. It, to me, and and I think that 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 saved me from a lot of like scams and and like getting going down the. The, the shit coin rabbit hole, if you will. Um, I mean, I it didn't save me entirely because I thought, I honestly thought that like Litecoin was maybe a test net because it was, you know, just a, you know, copy paste, but I didn't really think it was going to have all that much value. But I, you know, I even bought into the like silver to gold kind of conversation for a minute. Um, but it wasn't until people challenged that, right. Until I went out and I saw people like, yeah, but actually Litecoin, you know, like totally worth nothing. And, you know, and, I'm, and then I'd see that and I'd be like, well, you know, and then like, and inherently, I mean, it's it's Fuck natural to own something. And say, yeah, exactly. But if, <laughs> if, if you own something, and somebody says it's not worth anything, like, there's like this this like defensive reaction, like sure. immediately, right? And and usually, people, it implies that you're well, wrong, right? And usually, what, exactly, it implies that you, or you're a fool, right? That you have right. you know wasted value, right, on something. So, um, you know, I I think people's initial reaction is to go attack the the source of that, you know, whoever's saying that thing doesn't have value, they're gonna attack that person rather than attack why it has value, right? <laughs> rather than attack the argument, right? And so that, and then I noticed that, I was like, well, that's not a, like, just because that guy's, you know, a terrible human being doesn't mean Litecoin has any value. um, so like, so it doesn't mean he's wrong. So like, uh, and then I, you know, I, I just kind of dove into it. And, and honestly, the more I mined, the more I realized, you know, what was going into to sustain the Bitcoin network and then I and then I you know read the history I read the history of of you know how they how they tried to increase block size and how the miners predominantly were were in support of increasing block size but how all the node validators kept them in check and so even the miners couldn't take over the network even though they had I think they had like 85 plus percent of the hash rate um, but node validators you know just were able to, to you know still uh, enforce consensus to to bitcoins you know, uh, white paper so I don't know I just it was it was a long time but i, I somewhere in 2019 I'd say I was I realized wow this is like one the, the you know central bank has definitely been robbing everybody certainly since since we left the gold standard but even before then it was it was pretty awful um, you know read the read the Bitcoin standard uh, read the sovereign individual just kind of mind-blowing um, you know I, I was already I, th- I was already kind of a, you know, a rugged individualist as it was, um, but understanding the principles behind it and, and really looking at the macro impacts of what individual individualism brings, right. The kind of prosperity that individualism can bring an argument in my opinion. So like, and then, you know, and then I started seeing even just whispers of the, and, you know, we got to remember this was just right post ICO, and and altcoins are trying to remain relevant. And one of the ways in which a lot of these these other projects tried to remain relevant was they they started whispering and talking about Bitcoin's energy use, right, and how it, and its environmental impact. And that's when I was like, okay, so I need to I need to engage in this debate because this is nonsense. Like this is first of all, people are just coming at this from an entirely, you know, a hollow or a flawed uh, perspective. They certainly have you know flawed assumptions from the get-go but beyond that they certainly don't understand how bitcoin integrates within the energy stack and so i need to like but i do so i need I'm, I'm gonna come engage and i'm gonna start talking about this when i started talking about that then people started engaging with you know with me and then i started you know having some credibility out there i guess because i was able to come back and say well actually like i'm doing this like i'm actually mining and i'm mitigating someone's emissions and that's why they're like it's it's it, i'm able to mine is because I'm, i'm mitigating their emissions profile, saving them money and allowing them to be a more efficient producer. So actually, like you're just you're just objectively wrong. Um Bitcoin is not this this, you know, giant carbon waster of whatever you you think it is. It's it's something different. Right. Yeah. And that does that narrative
2: do you bump up against that? I mean, cause working in the oil and gas industry, I imagine most people share that perspective, right? They're not You know, they're not people that are opposed to it because, you know, they're working in it. But, you know, outside of that industry and you know, online and in really horribly written uh articles for mainstream publications, like there's a lot of that energy, you know, CO2 FUD coming Bitcoin's way. And it seems like that's gonna be a big part of the FUD narrative, you know, this is what we were discussing the other night. But um Do people like, is that something that you bump up against in in the day-to-day work and mix it up with people in the industry? Or is that just something that's totally misunderstood and as a result, it doesn't really exist in the conversations that you have professionally?
1: Well, Well I don't I don't really bump up too much against like I don't I don't bump up against the idea that like Bitcoin is this big energy waster or like, but the guys I'm talking to, the oil and gas producers, right, they understand that Bitcoin demands a lot of electricity, right? They understand that that server farms in general, I mean, these guys are, I mean, these are really intelligent, you know, well-read guys. Um, some of the, you know, you could call them old timers or, you know, kind of long time oil and gas guys that are maybe a little bit more tech phobic, right? Um, they, but even, even they understand that, you know all the emails and everything that are happening around the world. It's really just these big, massive computer farms, right? Um, that that suck up a ton of energy, and coal plants and natural gas plants are are providing them with. But um, what I what I really what's exciting when I talk to these guys, what I think really gets them excited is a couple things. One is their, the lack of counterparty risk, but two is that emissions mitigation aspect, right? Because they right. see the writing on the wall. I mean, even the guys in Texas are are. You know they know that at some point there's going to be regulation that comes in and com- comes after them for their for their flare specifically. And there's a lot of gas being flared, like enough gas in the United States. Call it we could do say enough gas in North America, I think, to power power the network four or five times over um, currently. Right? Like it's it's a ton of wasted wasted gas. Now, how much of that gas is is viable to combust without like having to treat it, without having to maybe you know um, purify it or or you know clean it up a little bit, scrub it. Um, I'd say a significant percentage, but it's not all of it. So I'd say, but still there's seemingly endless amounts of gas, certainly worldwide. And so what gets them excited is the fact that they know that they inevitably are going to have to solve, you know, deal with this issue. And now that they can get ahead of it and that they can turn into a revenue stream, like that, it's actually economically sustainable for them to mitigate their flare that they, you know, naturally now they're, they're going to want to not flare, um, is, is really exciting, right? And it also takes away the counterparty of the pipeline because a lot of guys just have really bad gas contracts out there. Um, Oklahoma is a great example of this, where there's guys out there where they're like, they're pissed, honestly. Um, and they're thinking about just shutting in their wells. They're thinking about just like, you know, capping their wells until gas prices get better because right now they're on the margin. They're essentially giving their gas away for free to the pipeline, but they have nothing else they can do with it. And, they, and Oftentimes there's you know maybe enough crude oil coming out of the ground that they don't wanna they don't want to shut the well in, but ultimately they're gonna end up shutting it in because they have a bad contract. They look at this as as a bargaining chip as well as a defensive tool, um, if anything goes wrong with the pipeline company, which oftentimes can happen. So so now, you know, these these upstream producers come to the table and they say, Hey, hey, like, if you don't give me a good price for my gas, I'm just gonna mine Bitcoin with it. And so take your pipeline and day. Um, Whereas before it was pretty much the pipeline guys would come to them and say, Hey, you're going to sell me your gas for this price. Or what are you going to do with it? Right. Right. You're just going to burn it. Like, so they, they, they really, you know, had, had all the bargaining power. Now the, you know, everyone's got to play nice and everyone's got to play fair. The midstream has got to play fair. Um, Otherwise they'll just, they'll just go mine Bitcoin with it. And then the other aspect is upstream producers go sometimes can go bankrupt because, you know, the, the the pipeline or the midstream did something wrong and the pipeline gets shut down for regulatory issues or something for X amount of time. And the producers end up losing, you know, having to clear bankruptcy because part of their business plan was being able to bring their gas to market, but the pipeline guy screwed up. And so then they got to try to sue the pipeline for, you know, and it's just, it, it's not ideal, right? These guys want to run a smooth business. And so this, this is a tool where they can have this on their, you know, at least on their belt. And if something happens in the pipeline, well, heck, like, Let's fire up some miners and start selling our gas to Bitcoin, stay in business. Right.
2: So, you, yeah, and uh, that's amazing. And you were saying that a bit earlier that now your phone's ringing off the hook and you're working with Upstream, of course. Um, and we talked about like this being its own rabbit hole. Like, how do you see this playing out? I mean, people are hitting you up, the, the value proposition seems to be fairly obvious. Uh, even though the sale might take like some time to actually go through, but like the pitch seems fairly simple. Uh, You know, how do you see this industry developing and, and, you know, take it as cosmic as you want in terms of Bitcoin mining, because like, I love to hear the different uh, ideas about where this ultimately ends up in in 10 plus years time.
1: Yeah, it's a, I mean, that's a great question. That's the, you know, it's a, uh, to really, really, kind of a daunting question in the, in the sense of, <laughs> I think I think we're really just at like we're we're just, you know, one nanometer deep into this into this um, how how Bitcoin kind of impacts the ener- global energy production. Um, in terms of oil and gas specifically, you know, I think a Bitcoin mine is going to be commonplace to the oil field. It's going to be just as common as you know a heater treater or a separator or you know anything because. Oil and, oil and gas companies, it's going to make sense for them to have portable Bitcoin mines that they can shuffle around through their assets you know, throughout the year and mitigate their emissions, bring their gas to market, um, and essentially just be more efficiently and effectively bring hydrocarbons to market, right? If, if one oil and gas company can can earn more money with the same amount of oil and gas you know, as, as another, well, they're going to out-compete. They're going to be able to raise more, you know, better debt. They're going to be able to to press that advantage and they, they ought to win the day. And so I think it's going to slowly become kind of commonplace. It's kind of a land grab right now, right? People are rushing to figure this out. They're not necessarily rushing to start mining. They are. I mean, a lot of them are coming on online, but they're rushing to run these numbers and figure out what this is, you know, what this looks like, maybe how, how they should plan for this contingencies, et cetera. But in the grand scheme of things, this is a lot bigger than oil and gas. This is gonna, Bitcoin mining is going to cause human beings to seek out stranded energy sources of all sorts, whether it be wind in the middle of the ocean or geothermal you know, up in Iceland or geothermal on a, on a volcanic island, right? That's literally just a purely volcanic island where there's no there's civilization. Like anywhere where there's where power can be generated, it can now be sold. It can now be brought to market as long as you have an internet connection. And with things like Starlink, with HughesNet, um, with with you know internet connectivity becoming, you know be, becoming essentially as as abundant as electricity, um, it's it's going to be you're going to be able to monetize electricity anywhere in the world with an internet connection. And so anybody who has solar on their house, hey, it might make sense to have, you know, five or six miners in a in a box in your backyard and anytime you know you, you're producing more than you're going to be consuming at your house like in that moment if you don't have a battery you might as well I mean a lot of people sell it back to the grid but really they're getting robbed like they're not getting anything selling it back to the grid um why not just you know power up some miners and then at the end of the month like you're going to have this little bit of of you know scarce money that you know is is you know, essentially free to you, right? It was, it was it was something that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's like it's just a matter of people are going to start building infrastructure, keeping Bitcoin mining in mind, power generation, and and you know all the way from the wellhead to the light socket, you know the the, the electrical socket in your house. We're going to start thinking about how Bitcoin mining could be integrated because there's so much waste along the entire the, the entire stack, um, and. I think it, we'll, we'll get to the point where, you know, Bitcoin consumes more energy than anything else. Like it'll be the predominant um, consumer of electricity in the world. it will be the predominant electri- or energy consumption market, you know, the predominant market that people sell electricity to will be Bitcoin mining. Um, and then humans will be, you know, everything else will be, be the rest. The, the reason I'm so bullish on Bitcoin is because in order for that reality to actually take place, especially considering the halvings, right? Especially considering the, the diminishing rewards, um, is bitcoin's price has got to be north of you know five six million dollars at least um, for that for that amount of electricity to be dedicated to it because otherwise it's not going to be economic for that next person to come online if you know everybody in the oil and gas industry right now if they all started using all of their wasted gas to mine bitcoin like n- no bitcoin miner would earn any money <laughs> you know everybody would everybody would turn off um, because it would just be it'd be oversaturated way too much competition for to justify the price but a uh, five, six million dollar Bitcoin, yeah. It'll make sense to go, you know, build data centers out in the middle of absolutely nowhere and and harvest some, you know, stranded river, you know, whether it be a river mechanical energy or wind or solar, or whatever. Um it's 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 going to incentivize us to go out and and utilize it.
2: Dude, it's so bananas that we're we're pretty much at the place and and if not at like rapidly moving into it. Whereas you said, like you can you can find a stranded energy asset, let's say hydro, somewhere in the middle of nowhere, and the technology exists to turn that kinetic energy, I guess, into electric electric energy, to mine Bitcoin and then to send it anywhere in the world immediately. You know, the, like oh, yeah. the infrastructure well, I mean, for that exists. It's it's insane.
1: <laughs> no, it's happening today. De- I mean, that, you're right. Like, what a time to be alive. I mean a there could be a gas well in Nigeria that's mining Bitcoin. And at the end of every day it deposits money to my mind and nobody can stop it. Right. No, I mean, it, it, right. I mean, think about that. Like, and I'm all the way here in you know Colorado, USA, and it's instant, you know, it's, it's damn near instant settlement. Um, and it's immutable. Um, and then I have, I immediately have sovereign custody over the over this gas that was, you know, 7,000 miles away, um, 13,000 miles away. Like, I, I just brought it to market and got a deposit to my mind autonomously. I mean, it's what a time to be alive. It's, it's a bizarre world we're living in. Um, I think,
2: I think even us, like the most bull people in the world uh, are underestimating how fast this could all change, you know, or things could change as a result of this,
1: like the speed. It's just. I agree with you. I think I, I've been making this comparison lately. Um, and I, I can't, I think it's perfect. It's email. And you know, I'll, I'll talk about my, da- my, my dad again. He's the perfect example where you think about email. And I remember days, like, I mean, I'm, I'm not that, you know, old, but I, I, I remember dial-up internet. Like I was, I remember the, you know, you've got mail and AIM. Um, and I remember my dad getting the first iPhone. And I remember talking about it, right? And, and he was like, yeah, it's awesome. Like, it's, you know, it's a crazy piece of technology, He's like, but I don't he's like, I just need a phone that you know calls and maybe sends texts. Like, I don't need email and crap on my phone. Um, but you try to take email away from his phone now, and like he's yeah, you know, like he's not gonna have that. Like he'd freaked out, right? Because <laughs> as as anyone would, because email has been integrated to the point where like I mean grandparents, I think that's like the primary way that most grandparents communicate now is is via email and Facebook Messenger. Um so like when did it become, when did email become normal like when did you all of a sudden have to be pretty much email proficient to have a job i i don't remember when it what the day was but i do remember that there was stories in bloomberg about how a company is is converting all of their internal communications to email they're like yeah with the, you know like that was news right if if I, if they said that today but he'd be like what the fuck like, <laughs> like what do you like of course they're all going to use email what are you talking about yeah. um, like when did that? When did that switch? I don't. It just all of a sudden it, we woke up one day and everybody was like proficient with email. I don't know. It was weird. I think the same thing is probably going to happen with Bitcoin, where it's just kind of kind of seep in, and then next thing you know, it's the primary way. Like, yeah, give us your Bitcoin address, and you know, we'll we'll transfer the money, kind of a thing. Like, like it, maybe it'll just become, you know, natural. I don't know. Email is the one that, that trips me out. I've I've even gone back and like tried to look at old like Reddit posts and things people talking about it, and it's trippy how we, how we forget how ignorant we were and how, I mean, even the email interface is kind of still not very user friendly, right. It's still kind of choppy looking, but the first time, like don't, you know, don't, I, nobody's going to learn this. This isn't going to replace mail. Like, (laughs) yeah, but here we are. Just like, even just the, the fact that now,
2: you know, with relative ease, any energy source in the world can be turned into the most useful global good. And I know there's an assumption there, which we would probably agree on that uh, money is the most useful good and Bitcoin is going to become money because if you don't accept that premise, then you can see it all as a waste, uh, you know, of course. And I think that's the, Exactly. that's That's the, you know, the primary point of contention with the Fudsters is that if you don't agree, I think you muted yourself. There oh, you sorry about that. Um, if you don't agree that Bitcoin is going to become money, then of course it all seems wasteful. But if you believe that Bitcoin is and will become dominant money, then the fact that any, you know, any energy source you can find, if you can convert it into electricity, you've, you have access to the world's most useful, most tradable good. And that just that opens up a world of possibility anywhere you are. You can bring the world to you wherever you find that, yes where, wherever that ability
1: exists. Yeah, anybody can participate on the within this global energy market, right? And even the the big players in the global energy market it's a it's a it's a big thing because you think about countries that are sanctioned, countries that like they can't ship more than this amount of oil, they can't sell more than this amount of oil, even if they can produce more than this amount of oil because the US won't let them through that port or whoever won't let them through that port. If they have more than this amount of oil, right? Like they're sanctioned in things. If countries just start bringing their hydrocarbons and, and natural resources to market by mining Bitcoin, like they can't be sanctioned. They'll get a fair market price, whatever, you know, is going to be available in, in, you know, Bitcoin mining space. Um, like whatever earnings per terahash is like, that's, that's fair market value. And then they they have a good they have a, a currency that they can then go settle global trade with their with their allied partners with, and they never they never entered the U.S. dollar. They circumvented all sanctions and it's immutable, right? And the, the U.S. can't stop them. Um, so countries like Iran, Venezuela, Turkey—I mean, they, they, Russia—they they can start mining Bitcoin and settling international trade in Bitcoin. They never touch the U.S. dollar. The, the U.S. can't do anything about it, and it's it undermines them completely. And so it's going to reshape not just global energy production but international relations it's going to reshape how i mean think about think about you know even iran where you know they have a lot of hard targets like they have massive oil batteries oil storage facilities right i mean that's really what that is is a gigantic you know just a you know potential energy whether it be monetary energy or or what right it's a bunch of value and so like that that that's a hard target you could actually you know physically destroy that and and hurt them but if they were to instead just you know burn all their crude generate electricity mine bitcoin and store their store that instead in in bitcoin well like the US can't bomb it they can't they can't take it they can't freeze it um and so it's all of a sudden you know it's it, it, and that's the part like where i talk about my you know like my dad almost having conflict with bitcoin like he sees that as this like as a bad thing um mm-hmm. and and it's and it's much like the internet right it's it's and, and I, I i agree with him i think like like People that have, you know, anybody that has a bad intention, any regime that, that I think, you know, wants to, wants to cause any harm. Like, I, I don't prefer that they become empowered. But Bitcoin empowers, you know, without bias. Mm. And it's just like the Internet where, yeah, the Internet makes criminals a lot more effective at what they're doing, too. Um, it makes, you know, child traffickers, like, you know, they probably all use the Internet to communicate. Like, that doesn't mean we should shut the Internet down. It just it means that it's a tool that can be used for both good and bad. Hopefully, you know, the more people are, are inspired to to leverage it for good than bad. That's what I hope, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. And I, I guess the critical point is also that, yes, it can be used for good and bad, but neither gets an advantageous, neither gets like uh, a greater advantage. Special treatment, yeah. Right, because like the, the apparatus yeah. that the, that we have around the world today, the machinery of governance and force and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it, there is such a huge imbalance and the hope is that the imbalance stays in favor of the good guys using it properly. But as we all know, I mean, that, that gets corrupted all the time. So, you know, would you rather have a playing field that's equal for everyone and you let the bad guys do their thing, the good guys do their thing and try to overcome them, you know, on an equal playing field, or do you have this massively imbalanced system where whoever ends up controlling it can, you know, uh, can execute their will, let's say, in in far, you know, greater to far greater degree than anybody else. And, you know, because then you're at the mercy of, of the good guys, you know, hoping that the good guys are at the top of it. And that is not,
1: you know, historically, that's not always the case, right? No, that's a good point. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of what you're meant, what you're talking about is kind of that, that compounding incentive factor where, you know, that, that currently exists with, with the central banking system, where, you know, those who who either get crony deals like get close to the money supply and leverage that to, to their own benefit, they become even more incentivized to then behave badly and cut corners to to compound that that gain, right? Because they're rewarded for it. Whereas I think with with a money that nobody can just inflate and and you know use to to get ahead. Um, without contributing, without we're, we're some kind of value or some kind of work, um, you're right. It starts to it starts to break down the reasons for for behaving badly a little bit, right? It starts to kind of dissolve that the underlying incentive of of something like like sanctions or a missile attack on you know uh, an oil battery or an oil storage facility. Like it starts yeah. to disincentivize things like that, and and the and the winners. End up becoming pretty much exclusively the ones that that you know feel more benefit are the ones that are act kind of act in honest nature, right? Because I guess I guess we're assuming reputation carries in some in, in some capacity here, right?
2: Yeah, and I think it will in, in a system that's an even playing field for all. But I, I mean, I guess the the punchline is that there's always going to be imbalances of power in on varying domains and in varying you know uh, in different ways and. The degree, I think the degree to which you align incentives is the restraint on the, the abuse of imbalances of power, right? Because if, I have an imba- if I'm more powerful than you, well, if our incentives are aligned, then I'm not incentivized to, you know, to uh, abuse my, my greater power over you, right? But if the incentives aren't aligned, then I am. And so I think, you know, right now we have massive imbalances of power and misaligned or divergent incentives. And I think that's why we see a lot of the, the problems emerge in the world that we do. And a lot of the corruption, a lot of the unfairness and inequality and that kind of stuff, we'll still see, you know, nature is, is you know, uh, necessarily not perfectly egalitarian or, or, or balanced, you know, certain things are stronger, faster, more powerful than others. But to the degree to which the incentives are aligned, you know, forming a kind of harmony, then I think you mitigate the damaging effects of the imbalance of power.
1: Yes. So you certainly don't exacerbate them. Right. Yeah. Which I think a lot of, a lot of kind of how the systems are set up today. A lot of the, you know, legacy powers exacerbate the, the the inequality and exacerbate, you know, I guess the, the despair that that creates. Right. Yeah. No, um, so that's a really great point. You know, it makes, it makes me think about, and I don't, I don't know how much time you have, but I, I did want uh, to uh, ask you and, and, maybe have you elaborate a little bit on what you'd said the other day in, in Swan Lounge when you popped in um, about, you know, kind of in, input versus output, right? We were, I think we were talking about the, you know, kind of the carbon discussion of how, you know, we're, we're entering this world where everything is measured in in units of carbon that, like carbon's a bad thing. So it's like the less units of carbon, the more moral, whatever the activity is. And and you brought up, you know, a point of, you know, we, we should look at what, what our, you know, kind of input versus output efficiency is versus, you know, input of how much, you know, what resources we're consuming, what kind of value that gives to, to humanity and, you know, and it's in its whole and, and allows a prosperous future. Um, and at, at what efficiency, you know, is it providing um, that, that potential prosperous future, right? And I just wanted you to elaborate a little bit on that because we, we were kind of cut short and I thought I thought that was a great point. I, I did kind of want to I wanted to push back a little bit, I think, but I it it was you know I've had a million conversations since then, so I can hardly remember. But I did want you to elaborate on that. I thought it was I thought it was a, a great point. Sure, sure. And I'd love to hear hear your thoughts afterwards. But my, my I think my point, and that I don't
2: exactly recall uh, what was said, but you know, the 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 framing of how we are affecting the environment, particularly with CO2, is is always like it's bad for the environment. It's bad for the environment. But like, w- I think the more reasonable or rational framing is, is bad for our environment. Like we us in conjunction or in a relationship with the Earth, because everything that humans do effectively is bad for the environment. If we if we consider the environment in isolation, like if we chop down a trail through the forest in a town so that there's a nice walking trail. Well, that's bad for the environment, but it's good for the quality of life of the people that live there. So that's a trade-off we make. We've consumed a certain amount of resources, but it's enriched our lives and we're happy with that With that trade. And importantly, uh, that it, that's a sustainable you know, trade, right? Like it, it hasn't mitigated or hasn't restricted our ability to continue flourishing. And the, the point I think I was bringing, and up it hasn't,
1: was, it, as you say, it hasn't completely demolished the environment as we know it either. Right. Like it's right. right. I mean, while there was maybe a marginal impact, it wasn't some kind of a total absolute impact.
2: Right. And so it's always, you know, a matter of balance. And, and I, and, but there's a, there's a question of values here. It's like, what is a reasonable con- uh, use of resources? What is a valid, uh, reason for consuming resources, and I think, like broadly speaking, uh, an easy answer to that question is consumption of resources that perpetuates human flourishing. Right. So, not consumption of resources that will will restrict human flourishing. We'll we, you know we'll say okay we'll we'll use all these resources and we'll be able to have something, but then we're fucked. Right. It's it's using resources that both enhances the quality of our lives and our ability to perpetuate. Uh, our lives into the future. And uh, that doesn't seem to be the discussion that's being had today. It's just like, oh, CO2 is bad. Things are warming up and that's bad and that's bad for the earth. And, you know, it's 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 not framed in like, well, what are the trade-offs being made and are those trade-offs acceptable? You know, like, and I, I know people far more competent and experienced on this subject matter have talked about it, but it's like, you can decry, let's say the, the fossil fuel use and the CO2 emissions over the last 50 years And you can you can have some objective metrics about how that's been bad for the environment, although I think those have become highly politicized and it's difficult to get, you know, accurate, objective data on that. And I've seen both sides. Um, But that 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 argument doesn't seem to account or mention what the benefit of having done that is. Like what's the benefit for life expectancy and population size and level of health and, and uh, quality of life and all those things that should be a part of that conversation. Uh, and then I think the other point uh, being made, like if we can continue to frame it that way is then, well, then what is the best use of, of resources for human flourishing, right? So what is the best, uh, what has the best resource consumption to human flourishing ratio? And I think almost by definition, you have to say, well, what is the most useful good, right? What's the, what's the most beneficial good in a society that leads to the uh, facilitation of all other exchange and the, the, the perpetuation of, of the, our desires? And I think the answer to that question is money, right? That's why money is, is so important. Money, I, again, I think part of the definition of money might be the good with the, uh, with the highest, or rather the lowest, uh, cost to benefit ratio, right? Be- and and particularly, I think that's true when you have a money that can be recycled in perpetuity, right? When you have a good that can't be destroyed, then you have almost an infinite lifetime for it to justify the consumption of resources that were required to create it and so bitcoin being what bitcoin is as long as the bitcoin network exists then bitcoin the token is is basically indestructible so i think what you have there is you have by definition the most useful good in a society which is money and then you have the component of that or you know an attribute of that which is it's indescr- indestructible and so if our question is is what is the the most what is the best use of what's the most valid reason for the consumption of resources if our goal is human flourishing then I think you have to conclude that it would be a money that cannot be destroyed that can be recycled in perpetuity uh, if again the, the caveat here is what I mentioned earlier is if it actually is the dominant money in the world it is the, the money that the let's say the global market uses as its standard so in you know looking at things through that lens Bitcoin is the best or most rational or most valuable use of the consumption of resources. And I think that it consumes them in a way that perpetuates human flourishing. So I think that the, the trade-off is the best it can be. And if we if we believe that the consumption of resources is detrimental to the environment and and not just in a vacuum, but in a, affecting our ability to survive on this planet and thrive, like it's, it's diminishing flourishing rather than, than growing it, then every other use of energy, every other use of the consumption of resources should be on the chopping block first, because they are all, by definition, more wasteful and net a lower gain than the production of, of money.
1: That's a really good argument. That's a compelling argument. Um, I really like it. When, when you were before you mentioned that you thought money was the, the most useful good, right? The most useful. Uh, or most justifiable uh, thing to consume resources for in terms of human flourishing, in terms of perpetuating human flourishing. I was going to say electricity, right? Which I think is where it kind of gets fun because I would say electricity only because it's, you know, it seems to be the kind of the variable or the, 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 the piece that allows humans to leverage technology right i mean obviously you can't leverage much technology without electricity electricity brings technology into this like new realm of of benefit um where you know i think you can provide things like clean water and survivability and things all i mean with electricity first right it's almost like more important than water because because with electricity you can get water Um, and so you know i think because of bitcoin's relationship you know, to energy because it's this, this money that is is, um, at least I would say, so intertwined with, with electricity, with um, the you know electricity, electrical generation uh, specifically that we're almost making the same argument in, in the in, in that way. Right? If, if if I were to if I were to argue electricity, I think it almost kind of comes down to, yeah. I, Maybe there'' are spots one and two, where I, th- I think maybe you have a more compelling argument where Bitcoin, yeah, is probably the, the in terms of its ratio of of resources consumed um, t- to benefit towards humanity, Bitcoin probably wins the day there, but yeah it's it's got to be the most efficient. The problem is we have a movement of consumption minimalists, right people that mm-hmm. see consumption as as purely bad. And they want us to return back to, I guess, like 1800s, where everyone just has like a wood fire in their house. And I mean, like, what are the emissions from that? I, I, <laughs> um, like, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't understand it. But um, you know, the the example I like to, to talk about is, you know, what about what about any and all um, products and services that you consume? Like, they all touch electricity. They all were the only reason that you even were able to go to the grocery store and get dog food for a reasonable price was because whoever's manufacturing and bring that dog food, like had, had, you know, re- reliable fossil fuels is what I would say, right? The economic energy, economic electricity to manufacture. Um, and so in that regard, if you're going to say that, that consumption is like, you know, the carbon impact is purely bad. Um, and consumption is, is terrible. We're not going to flourish. We're not going to leverage technology. We're not going to advance. We're not going to innovate because we're not going to have any reason to. Um, and, Bitcoin flips that narrative on its head, because like I said, it's going to incentivize people to go out and innovate and and provide more, um, you know, honestly, provide electricity to everybody in the world, provide uh, monetary sovereignty to everybody in the world. Right. At at, at the same time, because now it makes sense to go build power plants in very remote places um, and wait for communities to develop, because in the meantime, you can you can still bring that energy to market and you can wait for. Um, an emerging community to to start to flourish and to to get infrastructure built to to then distribute electricity and maybe you know all of a sudden you bring in manufacturing and industry and um, and quality of life goes up because they have this this tool known as electricity. Now it makes sense to provide them with that economically because the entire time that they're scaling up, you can be just providing less and less electricity, selling less and less electricity to to the Bitcoin network, right? Mining, mining mining less Bitcoin and then selling more electricity to this emerging community. So I think people are going to be incentivized to go out and capitalize on, on those who are, you know, kind of, but I would say like just left out of the picture of, of, you know, modern civilization because they, they don't have that infrastructure. They don't have, you know, communities, that just don't have reliable um, electricity and then they don't have reliable, you know, wastewater treatment and everything's, everything sucks once you don't, when you don't have, Economic and reliable electricity. Um, you're not really able to to leverage the technology that that that's developed. So, Bitcoin's going to change that, and and hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, because I think I think there's a lot of places that could benefit, you know, quite severely from it. The oil and gas industry specifically. Like these these oil and gas producers have a have a pop in their step when when they start talking about Bitcoin because it's like it's something to get excited about again. Like they're excited to go out and. Produce oil and gas again because they have this like new tool that that makes them more efficient and and you know defends them. Um, I, I hear it in their voice. They start getting a, they they go from skeptic to like they're getting a little excited and and optimistic.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. And I I I'll let you go in ten minutes. I got three more things for you, but just to put to address yeah. your point about electricity, you know of course like there's a chicken and egg issue, right? Like you can't have Bitcoin without electricity. <laughs> you can't have electricity without right. steel. You can't have steel without fire, you know. So you can trace everything, <laughs> everything back like that. But I think that the punchline is is when you exist in a market that, uh, well, when you exist in a market, let's say, um, I guess that the, the reason why money is considered the most useful good is because in the money is represented the demand for all goods, not just the demand for one specific good, right? So you could say like, what's the value of the the, the demand, the t- the TAM for electricity versus the TAM for avocados versus the TAM for whatever. Right. Whereas, whereas money is the thing that can be turned into all of that. Right. So it facilitates. Well, And, and
1: like money's the thing that gets us to organize. Right. And, and right. drives us all. Right. It, it, so, like, what's the value of literally being able to create a market? So, yeah, you're right. That's it certainly overarches all of that.
2: Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I definitely agree with the point and I and I about the importance of electricity and how, you know, Bitcoin is going to allow for the magic of electricity to flow into more places and for the, the the human flourishing potential of electricity to touch more and more people. And that's what's so great about Bitcoin in that it disintermediates all these, these obstacles that have been put in place in large part by regulations or powerful entities or even just the imposition of values that result from centralized decision making you know, through, through the, all, the misallocation of resources that, that arise from that. And Bitcoin, you know, is going to bring a free market to the world. And this is, you know, the, one of the things that I'm so excited about is like people have lost a faith, I think, you know, big people that think that big government is the answer to everything, that people's demands will determine the shape of the world. It's like, oh, well, if the government doesn't provide this thing, then how are they going to get it? And the response is like, well, do they want it? And if they want it, yeah. then the means for, for them to receive it will be you know, provided by the market in direct relation to how much they want it, how much demand exists there. What is the opportunity? And the fact that exactly. this imposing a free market on the world and disintermediating all the obstacles that would, would, would seek to uh, restrict that is one of the most you know, exciting aspects of this to bring freedom and prosperity and increased quality of life to everybody in the world or to, to more people in the world, I should say. Um, yeah, I, uh, two things. One, you got two miners next to you. I know you've been shipping out a lot of miners to different people. Uh, I haven't really (laughs) followed what that's about. Like why the hell are you doing that?
1: Oh yeah. So that, that was, that's just me personally. It wasn't anything with upstream at all. Um, I, uh, I found through eBay, I found, um, I, I purchased a an old miner. Like I like to tinker with these things. I like to take them apart and look at them and stuff. Um, and so I had seen the the What's Miner M three and that's that's this one here, um this guy. Which I, honestly, the reason I I purchased it was because it's one of the ugliest miners I've ever seen in my life.
2: Why aren't um, they plugged in and, right now? Are they broken or something?
1: No, these are they're. I mean, the M threes are they're two thousand watts and they're. I mean, it's it's not worth probably it. not too worth it here in Littleton Colorado um yeah like I'm, I might be it, it's probably not profitable but it's probably not too bad but like honestly just for for where I live like now um but I've got just for, you know, po- just got for podcast stances. appearances <laughs> no yeah just for just for my own for my own collection um but no I, found, I this is kind of a crazy story where I found a guy down in southern Colorado who apparently he was using a bunch of s9s and what's minor m3s to um he was using the exhaust from the miners to heat his cannabis grow operation, right? Here Amazing. in Colorado, right? So his, his marijuana grow, right? Which I thought was pretty, you know, ingenious. Um, apparently he, I think he, uh, he grew too many plants. So he got in trouble um, and ended up like getting in legal trouble. But he owed somebody a bunch of money that did a bunch of security work for him or something. And so that, and he couldn't pay. So the guy took possession of all his like, marijuana grow lamps and all of his Bitcoin miners. And I found him on eBay just randomly and I bought one. Um, and the guy messaged me and he was like, Hey, I've actually, you know, just like if you're in Colorado, you, you know, you just want to come pick this thing up rather than pay, you know, $25 for shipping or whatever. He's like, I'm over here. And he was, he was like three minutes away from my house. So I was like, awesome. So I ran over there. And when I walked in, I mean, this is, it's been really hard to find ASICs, you know, recently it's just like, it's pure mania out there. The prices are crazy. You know, Bitcoin's, it's like just really attractive to mine Bitcoin right now. So it's hard to find these things. And when I walked into the, it was it was actually I like got a shipping store. When I walked in there, like I smelled blood in the water, man. I saw like all these, all these cords and all the, all the PSUs. And I was like, what? Like, like, where are these miners coming from? And so like I started to ask questions, found the guy in Southern Colorado and just went and bought them all. Um, and, and so like that, <laughs> I, just went bought, I just went and bought all of uh, them. We went and bought them all. Like so. The S9s were like, he had a bunch of S9s, we sent those to the, we're gonna send those to the oil field, um, so that, that like, like you know, just, uh, M3s we couldn't use in the oil field, so I personally just bought those, and I was like, you know what, there's probably a bunch of other, um, you know, Bitcoin miners such as, that don't want to, like, spend five or six hundred dollars to buy a, you know, an S9 to tinker with, just to, you know, I mean, that's a lot, it's, it's over a million sats right now, I mean, that's, that hurts. Um, so I was like, but I could, I was like, I could sell them an M3 for, you know, 250 bucks and like, it's not about profit. It's about just trying to learn how to plug it in and, and tinker with it and, you know, see what it's all about. And then, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I think it's a cool piece of, of Bitcoin, you know, kind of memorabilia or hardware to have, to have a miner somewhere. It's kind of like, it's kind of like with wallets where, you know, you could you can talk until you're blue in the face about what it's like to, to set up a, you know, a hardware wallet and, and withdraw Bitcoin to it. Um, or you know, I guess move move your private keys to to you know offline. Um, but until you do it, like you don't you fully understand, right? And and when you do it, you learn something about Bitcoin. Like you just you 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 interact with it and you feel something. So it's like the same thing with mining. Setting up a miner, it's just you 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 appreciate it a little bit more. You just, just kind of better understanding what the hell's going on. You know? Yeah. Setting up a node, same thing.
2: And it's fun. It's funny. Like what I've noticed is. <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. Setting up a node. I I spoke with um, the guy who's doing Seed Signer recently, and it's like what Bitcoin seems to be doing is because of, I guess, the value uh, of taking control of these things for yourself and understanding them for yourself. Like it's it's taking people that weren't technologically inclined before and weren't tinkerers and stuff like that and causing them to like build their own node and mine some Bitcoin and maybe even start building their own hardware wallets. And it's a really cool uh, trend to see emerging. Um, I gotta hop off, hop off in five minutes yeah. but I wanted to take this is the last question I know is probably not going to give you enough time to do it justice but um, <laughs> you know I talk a lot about uh, or I, I ask a lot of questions about how Bitcoin has changed people you know and I see from you you know hearing a bit of your story but I like you, you got a lot of energy going on it seems right like you're you're obviously passionate enthusiastic about the work you're doing and now that you're Teamed up with Steve. Like I'm sure that's only been amplified. It's a you know a lot of really positive things are happening. A lot of interest is coming into the space. Um, you know what what's the change in your outlook, perspective, energy, you know, ambition been like since the you know the the penny dropped and you understood Bitcoin and then you've just been running on this down this rabbit hole ever since. Like, has there been any kind of
1: notable, obvious changes? Certainly, I think I think there's obviously this this kind of like this hope in the sky. You know, it's just kind of like this, you know, this north star kind of um, kind of direction. You know, it almost gives it brings a little bit of direction in terms. of, I know exactly what, like what I wanted to do. I mean, the second that I really um, you know saw the opportunity in oil and gas, honestly, once I started working in oil and gas, I really loved the oil and gas industry, and so um, I, I thought I wanted to work there. You know, you know. Forever, um, and I didn't know how I was going to make that work out. But then when I learned about Bitcoin and really once that pin dropped, I realized like that's the only thing I want to I want to be working on. So, like whoever I can provide value for, I, I was I was going to figure it out. I was going to I was going to work in this space, and you know, it's, and there's a lot of peace of mind with it, right? I have a, it brings a lot of peace of mind. I I don't feel like I'm getting robbed. Um, I feel like you know, a lot of, a lot of the other jobs I've worked, I mean, especially in business development and in sales and marketing, um, especially with the way in which the world advertises today, uh, with, you know, all of just the, the, the digital, you know, overwhelming kind of tracking, trying to get inside your head, uh, advertising, like there's, there's something soul sucking about it, right? There's something that just doesn't, it doesn't feel very good. I don't feel, yeah, I don't feel like I'm, you know, to, to quote you, right, I don't feel like I'm, I'm contributing to the, to the flourish, you know, human flourishment. Um, I, I don't, I feel like I'm, I don't know. It almost feels like scheming. It feels, it feels like a facade. It feels kind of fake. It feels crony. I don't know. Um, and, and it just, it's just, it doesn't fire me up. And so, you know, now I, I feel as though, you know, I'm, I'm you know, working, I'm, I'm contributing serious value, right? And most of what I'm doing is educating guys who are smarter than me, um, just about why they should take this Bitcoin, you know, network seriously and mm-hmm. how it's in their best interest and and how they can leverage it. And then we help them, we, we help build tools to help them leverage it. Um, but ultimately I get to educate guys on something I'm passionate about and it, it, it brings them a ton of value. And so for that, it's, I mean, it's hardly work, right. It's It's easy to schedule 10 calls in a day because like it doesn't, i'm not i'm not dreading them um in fact sometimes i'm like i'm probably too excited for the for the phone call <laughs> like, yeah it's like i probably come off a little strong sometimes um <laughs> i can't help it but it's uh, it's I, amazing you know which i mean it, it's definitely translated my happiness um you know plus I, I mean i i have a lot of freedom that way right which is i mean also a testament to, to steve barber right steve like you know when he hires hired me he's like i he's like i don't micromanage um and so I'm pretty much just gonna you're not gonna hear from me and I just kind of expect results. And so, <laughs> like and so which is awesome, which is like exactly how I would prefer to operate, right? Is yeah, you know, I'll just come back to you when i when you know when it's appropriate and when I bring things. Um, and you know it's it's been really good, it's a really good fit. Plus, I'm working for a guy that I you know that I admire, I admire what he's doing. I think that you know, he took he took the jump. I mean, talk about in 2018 when people were laughing at me. I mean, he was tinkering with this in 2016 and people probably were, didn't even care enough to laugh at him, right? They probably just utterly ignored him. Um, and still he, he prevailed and persisted and he busted his ass for the last five years building this. And, and you know, he, the first guy through the wall typically gets pretty bloody. Um, and certainly, you know, there's there's been a lot of bumps and, and you know, just inherent to, to Bitcoin, you know, the crap, the price crashes, think about being a, a ga- the guy that's walking around the oil and gas industry, talking about mining on your flare gas when Bitcoin's down 85%. I mean, you know, it's not easy to be that guy. It's easy to be that guy when Bitcoin's back up at 55, right? Everybody wants to be that guy, but nobody wants to be that guy <laughs> when it's crashing and, and you just sold somebody a Bitcoin mine or something, right? Like right. But Steve, um, you know, Steve did, did it really well. And I think he made a lot of you know, great decisions along the way. And um, Man, it's it's changed my life entirely. Put it that way, dude. We uh, we could obviously talk for hours, and hopefully, we will at some point
2: again in the future. I
0: yeah. love
2: what you love what you guys are doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I I can't wait to see how it develops. Anywhere you want to direct people if they want to learn more about you or Upstream or anything like that before we shut it down.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Denver Bitcoin, um, but definitely check out UpstreamData.ca. Um and check out I think it's Upstream Data Inc on Twitter check check them out um, we're doing some really cool stuff and uh, beyond that I will say um, one other thing I did want to plug real quick was was Coinbeast, um is a is a company I'm working for I'm doing consulting with them I consult with people on Bitcoin mining um, they're a, they're just a Bitcoin education company and um, we're we have a a you know a fair amount of consultants on there but I uh, I consult with people about mining and then I donate my proceeds seventy five percent of my proceeds to a Bitcoin core developer uh, James Oberon so. Yeah, um, you can check me out on that's Coinbase cool, if you ever want to. Yeah, if you, yeah, you want to connect one on one, and um, it'll be for you know it'll it goes to Bitcoin core development. So, uh, and you want to just get to those questions answered about mining that you can't like Google, you know, just that you need somebody that's had some experience. I'd be happy to to meet with you, and and I don't charge very much. It's it's not too bad. So, um, yeah, that'd be that's great, John. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on here, man. You're the best. I've listened to so much of your your podcast, and I I really. Always, always value your insight. So to to engage with you like this was was fantastic, man. I appreciate it.
2: I appreciate that too, man. And uh, I'm sure we'll do it again soon. So uh, take care. Yeah, where's K C in Miami, huh? A hundred percent. We'll grab some beers. A hundred percent. See you brother. <laughs>